This morning I'm going to um, respond to a few questions and uh, so I didn't pick that up last night it felt somehow I didn't want to add any more energy to thinking uh, you know it's nice to have time when we begin to shift perhaps from the uh, emphasis on thought, words into something perhaps more difficult or rare opportunity to experience uh, sense of the, the synchronicity the um, between the heart and the body sense of uh, subtler qualities of bodily experience which thought often obscures both in its rhythm its speedy it's uh, evocative gets us excited or agitated yeah. and it's uh, it's gross mm. yeah, it's a fairly gross kind of energy mm. it charges, rushes, jumps, flies, speeds it's not always very respectful kind of energy yeah. so anyway, we have to use this system but I certainly don't want to be a slave to it and uh, realizing also you know, with our thoughts and ideas there's only so many you can really manage and digest in any given period <coughs> Buddha's teaching is vast and there are many more occasions for you to study and reflect so don't cover them all and generally I try to consider what's for the welfare of the entire group and I'm responsible for that so Clearly, yeah, everybody gets what they want. <laughs> anyway, so I've got a few today. And a particularly knotty one here, which I looked at and thought, oh dear, I don't want to deal with this in the evening. Because it's the, the very language itself is rather... Uh, yeah, uh, difficult. But as it is a central uh, teaching that comes up, dependent origination, it seems worthwhile to at least uh, play with the eye, play with the words a while. So this um, yogi is asking, yeah, how should this? How should this part? He asked two questions. She asked two questions, and the second one is enough probably for a morning actually how should this part of dependent origination be interpreted avijja pachaya sankara pachaya vijnana pachaya namarupa pachaya salayatana well that's all Pali language so the rough translation ignorance uh, dependent support (laughs) sankara uh, formative, formative tendencies, dependent support, consciousness, dependent support, uh, name and shape, dependent support, six sense spheres or fields. So this already isn't the kind of language that the average person speaks in. Mm. 
So just take some of the terms which are not knowing or the absence of clarity. Uh, this is sometimes uh, elucidated as the absence of clarity concerning suffering and the cessation of it. Doesn't something's not understood around that. And perhaps if I elucidate on that point a little bit, what's perhaps not understood is that this is characteristic of uh, that we experience in this uh, sense consciousness of uh, things being not perfect, incomplete, subject to pressure. Things need to be held up, kept going. Things demand support. They they create pressure. They are, so like for example a body, you've got to keep cleaning it, feeding it, resting it, exercising it. Of course you can manage this until you're maybe 85, then it gets more difficult. When you're two or three, one or two it's difficult. But in the meantime you can have a good go at that. But still it gets sick and so forth. So it's something that in its nature is dukkha it doesn't mean it's agonizing it just means it you know it does require some puts a pressure on on your mind to keep it going yeah. which of course we are capable of doing so it's not that one necessarily experiences anguish over that till it gets really painful but it's unsatisfactory as it's characteristic now the anguish pain that comes with that is one was expecting it to be something that's perfect, wonderful, uh, beautiful, doesn't age, always vital, never gets sick, uh, bright, everybody likes it, I like it, does exactly what I want, never cause me any problems, no teeth, no teeth hurt, anything like that. I feel, oh no, it's gone wrong. Oh no, it's gone wrong. No, it hasn't gone wrong. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. <laughs> but this is emotionally difficult to bear. <laughs> this is the, so this is just a very simple example of um, uh, how dukkha as a characteristic becomes dukkha as a noble truth. The noble truth is if you penetrate this, you realize, well, the problem is not the body, but my attitudes, my expectations, or basically uh, what's called upadana, that is one, there's a sense of uh, being uh, attached to it or, or, or where the sense of this will give me permanent stability uh, myself, it will be what I want it to be Upadana so this causes a tension to arise and then the pressure and so without understanding this and this is just a, one very simple example of that uh, and uh, one of the things to experience uh, distractedness, trying to get away from it, uh, vanity, uh, anxiety, uh, self-consciousness, uh, and de- depression and impotence. Yeah, feeling sick, can't do what I want to do. Yeah. So then, once then there is definitely the felt experience of suffering. Now, furthermore, this uh, this is just the uh, body uh, which we experience as a form, as a rupa, as an object. 
So rupa, which we'll come to later, means anything that can be sensed as an object arising within consciousness. The body arising in consciousness is a set of tactile experiences. Rising, that's the predominant thing. Arising in visual consciousness, it is a shape which we can find attractive or unattractive. But its nature of being a shape is that shape changes. You know, it sags, it shifts, it bulges. And we don't want it to bulge, it bulges. When it doesn't bulge enough, we suffer. <laughs> you know, so as a shape, as a tactile experience, it's itchy and so forth. So this is just the rupa uh, and uh, body as an object. Now, in this first noble truth, Buddha also points out that there's that uh, what is called the five aggregates, uh, which will also perhaps come to again, and this includes uh, uh, vedana, which means feeling. Doesn't mean emotion or intuition. It means just the direct sense of is this this experience is something I'd like to have continue for a long time or I'd be rather grateful when it stopped so if that the answer is I would be grateful when it stopped don't want it to continue this is called disagreeable and it's probably fairly mild uh, but uh, naturally there's an inclination to have sustainable agreeable feeling and this doesn't happen because it doesn't happen by itself, we introduce things, sights, sounds, touches, uh, you know, things to give agreeable feeling. Get bored, switch something on, feel uncomfortable, read a book, feeling hungry, eat something, feeling lonely, talk to somebody, do something. So this keeps us busy. Feeling creates a certain pressure to keep doing something to get the pleasant feeling sustainable and still it fades out so you have to do something more this is called pressure yes. and as long as one is bound to feeling then one chitta which we're going to have to talk about later again <laughs> is bound to experience this nudging of feeling nudging you <laughs> pleasant feeling which definitely does happen it doesn't quite go on as long as I'd like it to. So the decline of pleasant feeling we call disagreeable. It was such a great, it felt really good today until about six in the evening and feeling tired. <laughs> it doesn't quite go on long enough. <laughs> this decline of pleasant feeling is called disagreeable. The hankering for pleasant feeling is also disagreeable. So feeling creates a lot of pressure. Right? And if one is, one's jitta, one's awareness is bound to feeling, associated with feeling, deeply committed to feeling, concerned with feeling, this is a problem. Yeah. Uh, and then perception. Perceptions arise whenever we see something. Perception is the experience that creates a mental impression from a sight or a sound, yeah? it creates a mental impression 
that's Quan, that's a name, that's someone I recognize, that's a tree, that's a man, that's a friendly looking person. So it internalizes something that actually our eyes tell us is out there. That's called perception. And perceptions arise again within the field of consciousness. And, and of course, when it's not just these um, sight, sound, touch, but also the field of mental consciousness. You think of something and there's perception, oh, oh I've got to go to work. Oh, oh. That arises. Future, oh, oh. Future, I can't see it, but I can imagine it. So the mind, mental consciousness, can concoct dhammas, experiences that stimulate perception. Having stimulated that perception, it struggles with that perception. It tries to find another perception. Yeah, this creates pressure. Are you with me? So past, future, self, others, these are the big topics around which perceptions in the mind cluster and form and proliferate. Perceptions of myself. Stay with that for a while, see what comes up. <coughs> perceptions of other people, friend, nice, yeah, like him, like her, and then, uh -oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, oh, it's such good, now she's not here anymore. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. So these are, uh, then this creates a certain pressure, doesn't it? Yeah. So as long as one is associated with, attached to, stuck in a perception, then uh, it creates a certain pressure. Sankara, mm, difficult word. This is the activities. So, so the mental activity, sometimes, is, sometimes, roughly speaking, you call it emotion because it's certainly mobile. It's this rushing, creating, concocting, planning, strategizing, uh, figuring things out. Yeah. This thing, uh, papuncture is a you know, proliferation, that's sankara. And of course there could be positive sankaras, a great idea. Oh, nice plan, piece of work, artwork, great, I'm enjoying that created something, get an idea, get going and it feel the energy pick up. Quite enjoyable. Creative work, enjoyable. Yeah. So it's, it can be pleasant, it can be unpleasant. And But then if we lean upon it, it creates a pressure because uh, how many wonderful creations can you make? And you've got to keep doing one. I remember an artist friend of mine said, whenever he did some beautiful paintings, he thought, oh, beautiful paintings, I wish I could paint like that. And he said, when you, when you finished a painting, he goes into depression for at least a week. <laughs> he's done the painting, he's put all his energy into it, and he's completely flat, exhausted, he's spent it all, and he's just sitting there looking at it and finding what's wrong with it. <laughs> And it looks beautiful to me, and there you can see, oh, that isn't quite right. What I wanted it to be, the final, I got this idea, something really, you know, musician, you know, this musician who's been playing for 60 years, and you now he's got to the point where he can't play anymore, because he plays a, a, a horn, 
can't get his now lungs can't do it. He says, I spent sixty years playing, I never quite got exactly the right thing I really wanted to. And everybody else thinks he's great. Genius. And it said his idea of the perfect sound I could get, I never quite got it. Sixty years of it. Creative formation, sankaras. They could be agreeable, but they're dukkha in that they're never final, completed. Every time I, you know, if I write a book, I don't want to look at it because I start to see what's wrong with it. Now, it could have said something clearer or simpler or more, prof- or more funny or humorous. More ex- and of course, different people see different things in it. I, I don't want to look at it. <laughs> just, I'm just glad I've finished it. <laughs> so creative formations. And of course, most of our creative formations are not, you know, things we're deliberately consciously deciding to do as works of art or this beautiful hall, for example. But they're figuring out what to do, yes, dealing with, you know, having to figure out plan how to handle this or the other, the other. It certainly puts a pressure, it takes up energy, it absorbs energy. Sankara. If one is associated with that, bonded to that, attached to that, then one experiences the pressure of that and uh, so on. Yeah. Uh, so the Buddha says, this is, you know, recognize this. If you understand, whatever you do is never good enough, that's not your fault then you're a lot more relaxed about it. Doing is always a guesswork, fumble around. Being is okay, but doing is always going to be a bit... because that's it. <laughs> you know? So there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that things are unsatisfactory. That's not your fault. But one has contributed to that through not really understanding this, not really meeting that, still striving to find the right, feel complaining oneself for getting it wrong, finding fault with other people because they don't live up to my expectations, regretting things I did in the past because I wasn't perfect. Dreading what I'm going to do in the future. All this, so always this this bonding uh, generates dukkha, and this uh, process of association with it generates the sense of a person. An immaterial entity that moves through space and time. It does it so effectively that probably all of us, most of us, a lot of the time, believe it. (laughs) And are trying to get it right. And it's a creation. And I'll talk about that. Because uh, the last uh, of this thing is consciousness. And this awareness of vijnana. Vijnana. if I have difficulties with this word, because the word consciousness in English language can mean quite a few things. It can mean just I'm aware, 
which isn't really consciousness. Uh, uh, consciousness in in the Pali is consciousness of sight, consciousness of sound, consciousness ear consciousness, eye consciousness, tongue consciousness, nose consciousness, body consciousness, and manovinyana mind consciousness. So it always brings an object into into awareness. It manifests an object of some kind of sight, sound, touch. Many of these objects, the external senses, are relatively brief. You, know, you see something and then you can see if you focus on something with your eyes, while your eyes, you know, the object begins to wobble. You know, because the eye consciousness is actually very momentary, rather like the pixels on a television screen that vibrate. Yeah. You know, those little dots. Because they're vibrating at high speed in a consistent pattern, it looks like a permanent picture. It isn't a permanent, it's just constantly electronically regenerating a particular pattern. So consciousness is like that, it regenerates, so it looks relatively permanent, a visual thing, until you really stop and hold it steady, then you begin to see the flashing, fluttering of it. Of course, conventionally speaking, human system is used to fluttering with it, and not looking steadily at one thing too long, but actually shifting the gaze in and out, then turning to the ears and thinking of something, so we don't linger long enough in one particular sense field to notice what it is. It's nature. Or we might see something and instead be absorbed in the perception. Oh, that's a beautiful tree. Rather than just the seeing. As uh, we started the retreat, mentioning just that sense of holding the visual field as one object. Not so easy to do, is it? Because the mind, something wants to push and find something and wriggle around. It's a sense of moving around. This creates pressure too. Subtle pressure. Now what you uh, uh, one needs informing about is this quality of manovinyana, mind consciousness, is where the sense of permanence really gets established. Because though we only see things a moment for a moment, we remember it. We get a perception of it. So, any given time, I can think I'm in this room because I can see some walls. I don't see the shrine behind me. Yeah. Um, my room is very different from your room. But we all agree, yeah, there's a meditation hall with the Buddha Rupa in it and some seats and a floor and doors, fans. We all agree upon that. But if you take it in the moment, I don't know, it's Buddha Rupa, what are you talking about? I can't see any Buddha Rupa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And probably, ordinarily, we only see the fans, we might not see the trees. But because we, our mind retains those impressions, we get this perceptual shrine room that remains in our minds. And yours might be slightly different from mine. And we can use that model, saying, we go outside, and oh, I'm going back to the meditation or back to the shrine room. We know what we mean. So the perception stays there. So the mind generates a virtual reality. This virtual, this sense of generating virtual internal realities that linger, 
So when I walk up the hill, I don't think the meditation has disappeared. <laughs> you know, I can't see it anymore. I think, no, no, I've just moved away from it, that's all. It's still there. But I can't see it. You sure? But my mind retains the perception of it, so, yeah, it's there. Now that's happening all the time. Yeah, the mind is generating these perceptions, virtual realities. People who are not here. Yeah. And this create generation of virtual realities also means I was in the past, I will be in the future. I don't see any past. Where is it? <laughs> you remember, I don't see any future. What's the future? It's a creation, isn't it? It's a, an involuntary creation, you might say, and it's useful. It's not. Uh, um, it's a. It's generated by the mind. Time is generated by the mind. Once the time has been generated, my mind can go. Yeah, that was. This is. That will be. It's the same person moving through that. So it's the mind consciousness generates a sense of a permanent person moving through time. Mm -hmm and it generally selects the particular features that will support that. So this is roughly the same shape as I was last week. If I took it to 15 years, I might say yeah, there has been some change on the body. Yeah. But I generally select particular names the same, gender is the same. And furthermore, the sankharas, the mental formations, that's me again, here I go, my same thoughts, my same memories, my attitudes, we go back to that. So we go to this uh, created experience, mental experience, as a reference point to say who we are. But it's created. And it's created through attachment, bonding, association with creative energies. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, but you can't find anything steady, stable, completed, satisfactory in that. In the realm of consciousness. It's always flickering and changing, and substituting, or the mental consciousness, which tries to bolster up a sense of permanence and possible future with things we better or worse, you know, <laughs> whatever your take is. <laughs> because the, the sense of being a self is a very important thing for the mind to generate, otherwise it feels lost. We don't like that unpleasant feeling. So, no, so this is the origin of suffering, and for I think you know, huge majority of the po population of the earth think, well, that's it. Yeah, so you do the best you can. Stop complaining. Get on with it. Which is, <laughs> this isn't complaining. It's just, and the Buddha saying, well, actually, there is an alternative to this. Yeah. 
And it doesn't mean destroying anything other than just the pressure. It doesn't mean you've got to get rid of feeling, perception, formations. Yeah. It just means stop the pressure. This is possible. That's a bit attractive, isn't it? I don't mind stopping some pressure. <laughs> and see what happens. It doesn't mean you annihilate yourself, it just means uh, a way of relaxing the pressure of stress and suffering. Sounds agreeable. And if one is interested in that and takes that on, then you're someone who's beginning to get the meaning of the first noble truth. Suffering could be understood as just the pressure. Oh, and that the pressure could be seen as having not just something we're bound to, but as generally created by a force called craving wanting it to be a certain way and if that was relaxed then the pressure would stop so this is the third no- second and third noble truth as a way to reduce that craving set up the conditions when there is understanding of this conceptually even conceptually even as something when one feels oh yeah I could go with that I could try that then we're saying first noble truth is beginning to be understood it's just beginning and now yeah and so with that we're no longer feeling so impotent hopeless useless something wrong with me oh no it's like this there is a glimmering of realization glimmering of release and so we cultivate this is the meaning of avijja but, and the absence of it so when the Buddha says with the understanding even of the first noble truth there is vijja rather than avijja yeah. so even with that means there's clarity seeing and so instead of constantly creating more pressure yeah, to, to make things these aggregates comfortable, satisfactory myself and no, no I want to, you know it's not going to work it's going to use up a lot of energy so it's not going to work what happens if I just release the pressure and experience something that's different, isn't it it's a different quality of the release of pressure the release of suffering and, yeah so, yeah, this is um you know, the second and third noble truths. And to return to this topic, although in some ways I've already explained it, you know, dependent upon not seeing, or Ouija is the generation of these creative energies that are constantly trying to get permanence, get satisfactoriness, get selfhood. Essentially, that's what it is. Trying to create a permanent self person who's happy, comfortable, uh, persists in time, never has a problem, you know, I mean this is exaggerating it, but something like that. Uh, this is the generation of this, and it's, it's so, uh, depend, that impulse, that creative force, depends upon not understanding that it's not possible. 
And just bear in mind again, return again, but the cessation of suffering is possible. How does that work? Well, part of the cessation of suffering is the release of the clinging. With the release of the clinging is the release of the sense of being a permanent person. So the cessation of suffering is realizable, but not by a person. Fortunately, the truth of the matter is, you're not a person. (laughs) You have one, but you're not one. So that sort of helps, doesn't it, maybe? What's that then? Well, this is not a person, it's called citta. Awareness, uh, that which... uh, is aware, sensing, it's something that's always there. Yeah. And this is different from consciousness. Consciousness in the Buddhist sense is uh, when these creative formations are working, then the consciousness is the mind consciousness is uh, generating more and more forms, rupa, more and more mental objects yeah. and how does it do that? does that through a, a feature called Nama so, yeah. so the mental consciousness generating Rupa mental forms and Nama Nama means designations, descriptions, and there's a lot in there actually. But dependent upon this ignorance or uncertainty or not knowing in consciousness, it starts generating stuff. This is one way of looking at it. Rupa, fairly easy to understand, means an object, shape, something that can be designated as a definite witnessable, often associated with the body, but not not always body. It's anything that has a body, a body of sound, you could say. It's a rupa to the ear. Uh, Now, when, so, and this of course is how consciousness is structured. It's vinyana, it detects an object. That's what it's supposed to do. Detects an object, audible object, visual object, detects that. Having detected it, it then says what it is. That saying what it is is called nama. So one feature of nama is perception, that knows what it is, and feeling knows it's agreeable or disagreeable. So these are two features of Nama.
this would seem to be uh, something that's uh, solid or reliable except we probably begin to recognize if we talked about it or even reviewed our experience two people see the same thing rather differently two people taste the same flavor rather differently they experience warmth or cool rather differently too hot, too cold, it's fine with me so what's happening? contact so this is where the Sankara again comes in it's those three qualities in Nama uh, are headed can be grouped under what's called Sankara creative and one of the first of these is contact and we may assume contact is not creative it's just a fact touch the I didn't create that that's happening, it's a real thing touch the floor but uh, that isn't all that happens there's the basic impression and then it becomes designated as that's a wooden floor tactile impression wooden floor, that's good if I touched my cheek and it felt like that I think something wrong (laughs) shouldn't feel like that so with every contact there's a designation oh that's wood, that's okay if that was a lump of cheese I think no, there's something wrong with that if I picked up a banana and it smelt like cheese I think I'm not eating that it's supposed to smell like this so every contact is designated it looks like a banana smells like a banana fine I've designated it as a banana it looks like a banana tastes like a bit of cheese something wrong when I was in um, uh, Chengdu one year in China went to a vegetarian restaurant and uh, I think they were there people sometimes have difficulty being vegetarian so these kind of like soya things but they were carved in the shape of shrimps and sausages and they looked very realistic so it looked like you were eating a giant prawn because people couldn't handle the idea of not eating a prawn so they created soya prawns <laughs> and then people could eat it because they saw the thing yeah, I didn't. I think they even flavoured it like a prawn so it got a fishy taste it's actually soya yeah. you see because the designation soya oh no so you know so we have these things like artificial beef burgers because people crave beef burgers so it looks like a beef burger it tastes like a beef burger it is a beef burger no it isn't it's soya <laughs> it's designations are very significant yeah. how much of our life is about designation Chinese New Year didn't look new to me but another day <laughs> yeah, for some people oh no Chinese New Year <laughs> or oh wonderful Chinese New Year yeah, I guess you see it differently
designations. So what happens? Sun comes up, like it does every day, so what? Designation, Chinese New Year, here we go. Designations. They they rule the world. If you go to the beach and people wear clothes, if they walk down the street they'd be considered indecent. <laughs> See how designations rule the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is very these are very uh, poignant topics, you know. People's parts of people's bodies they're happy to show and other people they feel embarrassed about. Body bits, designations. So this is uh, dogs don't care. (laughs) It's all out there, you know. (laughs) They don't have that designation. Humans do. So fair enough. We go according to the protocols. Yeah. See how designations, you know, they rule the world, and they they're not bad, some of them are a bit strange, but uh, it gives us all a set of things to conform to, read with, but then we do get stuck in them, then we get upset when the designations don't work. He's doing things the wrong way. Today is Chinese New Year, you've got to be busy, oh no, got to see family, oh no, you'd have to, because it's designated. And you can't stand the social pressure if you don't conform to it. So designation is stressful. So this is uh, the contact. The main thing about it really is not just the light, the sun comes up, but what the day means. So it's designation, perception, feeling. This is born of contact. And then attention. Something holds that sustains that today is this day holds it there and everything else is ignored you know notice how one can do that even a day here you know okay it's time to eat breakfast so we go downstairs it's time to eat breakfast fine good go downstairs go and eat breakfast what's the, what's breakfast about there's some food eat the food sit down eat the food go away so that, that's been designated there's your attention goes to that you probably don't notice so much, you know, the trees outside, tadpoles in the fountain, um, you know, because attention is focused on breakfast. Yeah. Uh, so, so one's attention gets steered by desi- what designations and intention. Do this. Mm. And sometimes when you're eating a meal, it's good just to stop in the middle of it, just put the spoon down. Just to get out the momentum. It's the third form of Sankara is intention, is pushing on. And so you really want to be able to feel these are these are the creative formations and as they're created, as this Nama thing is created, it generates our 
frames of our life, our world, our lifestyle, our day, our duties, our occupations. And we get framed into that. Yeah. And it drives onwards. Yeah. And, you know, so the Buddha then places this other thing, aging, sickness, death, into that lot. Yeah. Or that happens some other time. <laughs> so it's good to have this one, just to put a ripple through that habitual thing. You know, are you sure? What's important? Stop. Pause. What's important? Important thing. First important thing is to check the momentum. The, the blind momentum. This is a vijja, a vijja pachaya sankara. The momentum. Here we go again. Do this again. Supposed to do this. Got to do this. Everybody does this. I need to do that. If I do this, I will. If I don't, I won't. Stop. Pause. You know, like, not like forever, but let's take a minute or two. You see what happens when you check the momentum. Widens. Perhaps it feels what I'm supposed to do. What I'm supposed to do. I need some contact. He's in contact, feeling funny, where am I supposed to go? Contact, okay, body. Right, settle, steady. Whew. Grounded, now having got that sense of the mind, having a basis. Now what's important now? What's helpful now? So I get a chance to reset my intention, reset my attention. I don't need to keep focusing on this. This is more useful than space or breathing or metta rather than you know, these other things that have been generated. I get a chance to reset. So, so re-understanding that this dependent arising world that we experience ourselves in is dependently arisen. Yeah. And, uh, and it dependently arises and that same model, form and the knowing of form, Nama Rupa plays out in all the sense spheres including of course the mental sense sphere so dependent upon Nama Rupa generate is the sense spheres, what happens within them now with the ceasing we just release the pressure a little bit we can so we're not say Buddha says don't wipe all this out but just start working on avijja don't worry about consciousness you know, don't think too much about trying to understand the duration too much just work on the blurring the heedlessness the blind assumptions you know. Yeah. The, uh, the confused perspectives that we get trained in just, take, just check those and take one step out feel what it's like to get out of the blurring, driven uh, world of assumptions of future, past, identity what you should be, what you shouldn't be just get out of it stop it, it's being created so this is that beautiful moment could be 3 seconds, 10 seconds, a minute you should get familiar with it, you can return to it 
just the degree to which one is at least rising up with attention that's what's an attention to what attention to where is suffering being generated now where is the pressure now you don't have to get every detail just the main bit of the pressure so it's it's very gracious teaching it's saying you don't have to get into fourth jhana or rupa jhana or meditate you know get it all right and just find the one place that you can feel this is pressure and it's right there and it's bit i could actually stop <laughs> you know and see where that goes so it could be this you know relaxing the expectation as you probably heard ah oh, some pressure goes relaxing the idea of what i could be relaxing any ideas I have myself any of these you can see there's building up pressure and you pause say, don't keep doing that you're creating it it's being created doesn't need to be created you can exist perfectly well without a self <laughs> or a permanent self anyway so, doesn't mean there's no wisdom, doesn't mean there's no mind, doesn't mean there's no consciousness, doesn't mean there's no formations, no feeling. It just means there isn't this stuck quality to it. Creative, spontaneous, flowing, possible. So just taking the pressure off. So this is really where we begin. Then you say, well, if you do that, then something else becomes available. Now I've taken that pressure off expecting myself to be something. Suddenly a quality of settledness comes in. That's interesting. Within that settledness I experience a, um, you know, uh, repetitive thoughts. If I direct, if I don't fight with them, don't adopt them, don't reject them, it takes the pressure off. Let them flow, let them pass through. You see, so you're increasingly sensing this noble truth through experience, and a little bit takes you into a little bit more, and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into how this whole weave and blend of, of suffering and stress has been compounded, the whole mass, as it said. It's a compounded malt conglomerate so you just pick the bit you can pick when we have a knot hard knot tangled knot you don't go into the toughest bit you go to the bit where it's loosest and you start to tweak that I can get there I can undo that bit undo that bit, oh this bit comes open I can undo that bit, this bit comes open gradually this is how this whole mass starts to unravel and one knows as this occurs then my efforts are accompanied by joy and confidence and meaning yes I'm making an effort but my efforts are accompanied by joy and gladness I don't mind a bit of pain (laughs) because you know physical pain is inevitable I don't mind a bit of unpleasant feeling, that's inevitable but if I handle it this way 
my efforts are accompanied by joy and I feel meaningful purposeful alive I'm unravelling this mess rather than binding it up and this is the way the disciple is encouraged feels themselves furthered by the Dhamma if you do a little bit the Dhamma comes to you it enriches you you get the strength to do a little bit more do a bit more more come, more Dhamma comes in it gives you the strength to do a bit more you do a bit more more Dhamma comes in gives you the strength to do a bit more that's the way it goes we're in a process whereby you know the Kalyana will arise and gladness and strengthen us and keep us going our job is to be relevant deal with what's accessible not with what's speculated it's going to happen at Niroda or something or 8th Jhana if 8th Jhana is accessible to you you go right ahead and deal with the suffering of 8th Jhana <laughs> for me no it ain't there yet so I'm dealing with the suffering of this <laughs> this is how I've got my I've got my eye on this one and when I get, get the 8th Jhana I'll deal with that when it happens <laughs> Uh, but then I have, I have confidence and trust that this bit, this is what the Buddha says, Buddhas teach and only Buddhas teach. They only teach this. This is the bit that people don't get. Uh, so in his previous time as a disciple, he'd been with teachers who taught the Arupajanas, but they didn't understand the Four Noble Truths. They could go to these very refined states of consciousness and come back into this and still not have realized anatta, not self. So this is the thread, the wisdom thread you must take with you. Take with you, it cannot do you harm. You cannot be deceived by it. You cannot be let down by it. Uh, and you'll be within your grasp. So this is where this teaching, dependent origination, becomes um, felt, experienced, accessible and therefore it's uh, worthy of consideration but it is a big thing so as I've been uh, trying to uh, give some guidelines on and tackle a bit and probably, you know, it's I've talked about Sankara, the driven states, you know, where the creations of thoughts and impressions and objectives has become uh, uncontrolled, and to get gain some access on that and steer it. Yeah. Uh, I've talked about perceptions. The impressions of oneself and others, and what one should and shouldn't be, the pressure of those, and how they should be gently responded to with kindness, settledness, loving kindness, settledness. And I've taught using the body as a way to uh, just disengage from the complexities of the mental consciousness which proliferates. Body doesn't proliferate. And in this, you will find not rupa as the uh, clung to aggregate, but something else, a quality of intelligence.
which is citta awakened intelligence it's in there clearly it's not in your tissues but it's come into this body for this lifetime and my uh, estimation my guess if you like is this is this is really the meaning you know uh, when it says the Tathagata has come into this world we've all we don't know how we've arisen in this world with this body even though it's it's a problem and those who don't know try to get out of it into the Arupa this is what his teachers taught him get out of it the ascetics taught it starve it, mortify it, numb it out and the Buddha said no this is not profitable come into this in this body there is one source which acts as like the loose end of the string that you can follow and guide you to liberation within this body with its perceptions and feelings and consciousness is the world, the arising of the world and the passing of the world and the end of suffering somehow within this and it's up to us as it's given suggestions of how that occurs just to try to conclude again it has been rather a lot to take in Uh, somebody says here or question how do you find mental stability well the mind the citta is sympathetic it means something that's experienced it senses it citta awareness is sympathetic it it resonates it is affected by as it's affected it derives a perception as we've explained now there are good perceptions and difficult perceptions there are difficult feelings and positive and pleasant feelings but there are particular signs or qualities that you can detect within the body, through the body that are very helpful for supporting the citta and and this is the sign of ground stability and it's clearly it's not physical physically but kind of you try to get physically as steady as as sitting as simply as possible or standing as possible naturally physically there's a slight fluctuation but you pick up the quality of stable it's a derived sign that is we select that impression that gives us a sense of stable mind likes that it gives the impression, the perceptions, we build up attention to areas such as the spine where there's a sense of balance so the muscles relax mind picks up the sign of something that supports so the muscles can relax it finds that sign, gives it a sense of strength and release of pressure mind is gratified, stabilized, encouraged by that jitter is encouraged by that space feel a sense of all the all the time in the world all the room in the world 
no obstructions, pick up that sign, mind is comforted, feels free. Yeah. So this use this as a foundation. Within that, if that foundation is felt, experienced, not just as a concept, but directly dwelt in, and other experiences are put to one side, selective attention, careful attention, stay in that. And you can build that, work on that, keep working on that. Because it's fairly accessible, I think. Yeah. Feet and your backside are fairly accessible. <laughs> Spine is fairly accessible. That's something we can manage. We're trying to present something accessible. So then pick that up, make much of it, dwell upon it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and if it, in due time, in that process as things begin to settle, as balance is acquired, and uh, I, 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 my understanding is that many people are not balanced. So it takes quite a while for the shoulders to relax and really to get that. If it does settle, you'll feel the sense of rhythmic breathing in, breathing out. It doesn't matter where you feel it. The Buddha never specifies a particular place to focus your attention. It's wherever you feel it, go to the rhythm of that. That's comforting, stabilizing, and the mind likes that, enjoys it, is encouraged by it. And so, this is, you know, the central theme is you put a bit of work in to, uh, to derive something that comforts and gladdens you. So, you know, if it's not, if it's just constant grinding hard work, it's not the right object. So, select something else. Metabhavana and so forth. You know, the, the, the sense of the mind's comfort and gladness becomes a sign in itself quality of, of ease and happiness so then this quality the mental energy and the simple energy of breathing out begin to unify complement each other unify quality called piti which is uh, mental and physical sense of gladness piti then this is what we call samadhi entering into that dispelling the obstructions so this is called a peaceful abiding within this body. And there's more can be said about that, but I don't want to take up a lot more time. Uh, if you can find yourself with that, uh, my recommendation is stay with that, pick up the sign of where it gets steadier and more still. Keep discarding what you don't need. Uh, settle more steadily on what is helpful. And it has to has to be accompanied by careful attention. It seems to me that sometimes people drop into a state of calm, but they've lost their careful attention. See, so don't know what to do. It's careful attention. Careful attention has wisdom in it. And so the careful attention becomes wisdom, sampajanya, clear comprehension. And so the sense of this 
How is this? Who is this? This is impermanent, changing, conditioned. Stepping back from that. So, this is why I don't you know, talk too much on this level in the evening. So this you can hopefully take you through some of the day and uh, while we have that time uh, please make good use of it uh, for your welfare and happiness and hopefully you'll be able to, these teachings are central you'll come back to them time and time again in books and in other teachers so we're all trying to add a little bit of expression to bring up and clarify what the Buddha has made clear for us and offered to us so it's time for us to make an effort with joy uh, for our welfare and happiness